Let's um, bow our heads one more time as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you've given us the gift of Scripture to not only allow us to learn more about your love and your character and your plan, but also that we can learn what it looks like to be faithful in difficult times. And so we pray now that you would teach us, that you would silence all the things that are going on in our head, and that you would allow us to be able to be open to hear the word that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. This morning we, we continue, and, and we're not formally doing a sermon series on faith, but one of the things that we talked about last week is that as I was preparing last week's message, um, it was just so much content that instead of you know, preaching for an hour and a half, we, I decided that it would be better if we broke it up into three smaller sermons. And so this morning, as you already saw in scripture, uh, scripture reading, we're going to be talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I want you to have, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Daniel. And I am preaching from the New International Version, which means that it matches the Bible that's in front of you in the pew. So I'm doing that on purpose so that you can follow along. I had some issues with the PowerPoint, so I don't really have Bible verses up there. I don't know what was going on, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it to work, so we'll use the NIV this morning. And so this morning I want to talk about who we worship and why we worship. When I hear the pages stop rustling, I'll start reading. All right, here we go. Oh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. I assume the saints knew where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego started. <laughs> Just kidding. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So right off the bat, we have this image in Scripture of what's going on. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up some sort of image. Now, traditionally what we think when we see this text, what, do we, what is the picture we get of what kind of image is it? Like a statue of who? Of, of the king. But in the ancient world, and this is historically proven, a king would hardly ever set up a statue of himself for people to worship. So we have to get that, you know, when we're kids and we're taught, you know, in the felt boards, right, that Nebuchadnezzar set up this, all, this um, statue, it probably wasn't of him. All right, so this is the image that we get, right? And so it says that it's 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide, and that also lends it to say that it probably isn't a statue of an actual person. And so what we find is that it was probably a statue in homage to the god of the Babylonians by the name of Nabu or Nebo. All right, so, so Nebuchadnezzar, this is one of his what we call patron gods, like the god of all gods, and so he probably made either a statue of this guy or something in homage to him. And so one of the things that we think of is a lot of the scholars believe that it was probably an obelisk. And an obelisk is something like this. We see this in our capital, right? They said that by the dimensions that the Bible tells us it is, it was probably more of some sort of obelisk, obelisk that Nebuchadnezzar, the viceroy on earth, right, the representative of, of the god Nebu, probably was doing something that just was this big and it was overlaid or made with gold. So now you're asking, so who cares, Pastor Dave? Go on with the story. 
All of this is important because we believe that the Bible writers write the story in such a way where everything somehow interconnects with one another. Another interesting fact that the NIV misses, see, the, the New International Version tells us that it was 90 feet by 9 feet. But if you have a different version of the Bible, it would tell you that it was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Now you're asking, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's the number 6. In the Bible, the number 6 is representative of the number of, of man. And here's what I mean. Bob earlier this morning said that in creation, God creates what on the seventh day? What's important about that is that it's on the seventh day. The number seven in the scripture is the number that's representative of God. The number seven, as we find in creation, on the day, of, on the day number seven of creation, God completes creation. And so the number seven is also the number of completeness, the number of perfection. So anytime in the Bible when you come across the number seven, think, you have to be thinking about, well, what is God trying to say here? This is a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. This is God's number. Now, is, is the number six a seven? No, it's one what? It's one short. If we remember in the book of Revelation when we talk about the mark of the beast, what is the number of that? Yeah, so it's 666. Not, I know we say 666 because it's like, ooh, it's more ominous that way. But in biblical history, you know, they, were, they didn't have the movies that we have today. So for them, it was just like 666. Well, here's what's important about that. The reason it's three sixes in a row is just to say that you can put a million sixes in a row and it will still never be a seven. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, particularly that chapter, what it's really referring to is that people will either worship the one true God or they will worship something or someone else. At the center of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we had the Israelites who were always going after other gods. Now, how many of you remember the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before who? Before the one true God. And now, it wasn't that God was this jealous God who was saying, like, you better worship me or else. But God knew that if you went after these other gods, do you know what kinds of things these other gods were asking um, people to do? They were asking them to sacrifice their firstborn child. They were asking them to offer human sacrifices. And God knew that if the Israelites went down that way, they were going to be living a pretty terrible life. You see, at the center of Scripture... It's God's invitation to trust him, the one true God. And so the reason we're spending so much time on this first verse in the book of Daniel chapter 3 is because there is so much that goes into what's happening here. You'll see in just a few moments that it was King Nebuchadnezzar who wanted everyone to bow down before this obelisk or this statue because he wanted, them, he wanted them to worship his God and not necessarily the God of Scripture. Now, here's one more tidbit of information. It says that it was in the plain of Dura. So it's some region. We don't know where that is. I've never been there. I don't know that it really makes a difference, right? How many of you, when you came across this passage, you're like, oh, yeah, the plain of Dura. I know why that's significant. Do any of you know why? I'll tell you why. Because scholars believe that it was exactly or in the same vicinity of where the Tower of Babel was erected. All right, so now it's starting to make sense. 
the Tower of Babel, people gathered together in the plain of Dura, or the province of Dura, to build a tower that the Bible tells us that would go up into the heavens because they did not want to be destroyed by a flood again. And so they believed that if they could build a tower high enough, that in essence they could reach the heights where God was and they could be like gods. And that's idolatry. People wanting or, or believing that God doesn't know what's best. That's what happens in the story of Adam and Eve. It's what happens in the Tower of Babel. It's what happens here in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar wants the state or the, the, his country, his kingdom, to worship to a state-mandated religion. And he says, you must worship the, the god Nebo. So whenever you hear the music play, and we're going to see this in a moment, everyone was supposed to drop to their knees and worship and pay homage to this tower or this statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. So there's all this stuff that's going into it. There is the idolatry. There is we want to bring God down to us. We are like gods. We don't need God. Not only that, it's the, it's the time, what is it, the timeless question of whether you worship the one true God or if you are worshiping someone or something else. Now, for us sitting here in 2016, we're like, they're so dumb, they should know better. Isn't that true? Like, we're, like we have the Bible, we know why didn't they know. What's even more interesting, and some of you will remember this, in the chapter before Daniel 3, the chapter before, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, the, and in his dream, there was a statue in his dream. And I think this is where we get the image that, that he made this statue, but it probably wasn't. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, probably the most powerful king in the, in, during that time, has a dream that no one could interpret except for Daniel. We remember Daniel. And the, and the statue is basically this, the head of gold, the body of silver, the, the, the skirt of bronze, the feet of iron, and then the, feet, uh, um, the legs of iron, and then the feet of iron and clay, which represents like the modern time. So we're all of those. I'm, I'm skipping over this. I'm sorry, guys. I'll give you an aside. When you're a preacher and you do all this study and you, do, you think all of it's interesting, but knowing how much to tell you is difficult. So I'm just going to nerd out a little bit and just tell you like what was interesting to me this week and then hopefully the Holy, oh, we know the Holy Spirit will work it out in you and you will get exactly what God wanted you to know. But here's what happens. The statue in Daniel 2, the reason that it's made of different metals is because it represents different kingdoms and different time periods over all of Earth's history. And so the idea is, and you can look this up, you can Google it, it'll tell you, but basically the feet are, are clay mixed with iron, and I think all Christians would agree that we are living in that time period, kind of as Earth's final kingdom or divided kingdoms all around. The purpose of this dream, however, was that although there would be all of these kingdoms that were coming, there was one true kingdom, which is represented by the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And what the, and what the dream says is that this rock comes and crushes the statue, which was just a biblical way of saying that there is only one true eternal kingdom. And that kingdom is that of God. Jesus is the representative of God's kingdom. And we can begin to experience it now, but it is the only one that will last into all eternity. The reason this is important is that King Nebuchadnezzar already knew this. This happened the previous chapter before Daniel chapter 3. But it was in chapter 3. It's almost as though Nebuchadnezzar forgot. And the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar like bowed down and worshiped God after he heard this dream. 
But regardless of that, in the very next chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar decides, you know what, I'm going to make an entire statue of gold, which was Nebuchadnezzar's way of saying, God doesn't really know what's going to happen. So I am going to establish myself as the one true king for all eternity. So we call that idolatry. Sometimes in our lives, even though we know what God wants for us, even though the scriptures are clear about what God calls from us, we try to bargain with God. We try to say, well, I'll do this much, but I won't do this. And the truth is, is that whenever we begin to bargain with God, we go down a path that will lead us away from the life that God created us to live. And so what's happening here in Daniel chapter 3 is that King Nebuchadnezzar wants everyone to worship his patron God because he believes that he is the best God and everyone else is reduced, and every other God is no God compared to his. And so it was in this context that you find three Hebrew men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are actually their Babylonian names. They're not their Hebrew names. The reason this is important for us today is because something really important is going to happen on November 4th. Is that true? Right? What's happening on November 4th? Election. And every four years, everyone begins to freak out when the election comes. And every four years, the guy that you didn't want, or the lady possibly who you didn't want, is going to become the president, and then four years later, we go through the same process over and over and over again. And there's all this fear that comes with, well, what's going to happen, and things are going to be horrible, and everything's going to be this, and everything's going to be that, and we just, we, we don't like it. The reason that chapter 3 in the book of Daniel is important is because these three Hebrew men didn't care that there was going to be an election. They didn't care that who was going to become president and who was going to become, you know, a Senate member or a Congress member. It didn't matter to them because only one thing mattered to them. And I hope that this message will ring true for us this morning. So let's, let's just keep going on this. Ready? Verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial leaders assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Right. So this is state-mandated um, um, worship of this image, of this statue. And so then it says, seven, no, verse eight. At this time, some astrologer, wait, did I do number, verse seven? Okay, verse seven. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the flute, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Right? So the music plays, and what does everyone do? As soon as the music plays, what do they do? They drop everything, and they fall to the ground, and they worship this image. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers 
came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. All right, so they're saying, didn't you say this, king? And then verse 12 says this. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So he's call, these, these Chaldeans are calling out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they weren't just any Jews, right? They weren't just any Hebrews who just happened to be there, but they were selected to be almost like mayors over different provinces. So these were people of stature. These were people that were probably well-known by a lot of people. He says, but some of these Jews whom you have set over the affairs, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold they had set up. So let's just pause there for a second. You know, we often think that, how should I put it? Your faith cannot and must not be defined by your circumstances. And here's what I mean by that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're heroes to us in 2016. We read stories about them, and we are happy that they stood up and they defined, they defied the king. But what's interesting about them is that they had been taken from their homeland, and all of the Jews were spread all over all the different provinces. Now, if that happened to you, would you be happy about that? Someone comes into your home and says, now you're going to go live in, like, Arizona? I don't know. New Mexico? I don't know. No, no one wants to live there. I mean, it's too hot is what I mean. But what happened was they were taken from their homes and their homeland, and they were dispersed all over the, all over the kingdom. Part of why they did that was so that the Israelites couldn't revolt against the Babylonians. But what's interesting about that is that circumstances weren't great for them. Yes, they were like, they were provincial leaders. Yeah, that's good, but it's because they were forced to. They didn't run for election. They didn't try to get that position. They were forced to do it because they believed that if they were people that were in authority, that they are not going to revolt against the kingdom. So these men were taken from their home. Everything was taken from them. And not only that, but their names were changed to reflect Babylonian gods of the time. Think about that. Their identity was taken from them. Everything they had was taken from them, and they were told that they were supposed to be different people. And it was in that context that they could have just bowed down and said, look, they've taken everything else. We might as well just bow down. But you see, their circumstances didn't define how they would act or what their faith would look like. And that's why I talk about this election, is that we get so worried up and all, you know, riled up about it. But the truth is, is that whoever wins in the election, and the Bible is clear from beginning until the very end, that regardless of who is in elected power, that doesn't change how you must live. The Bible doesn't change based on who's in office. And you can't allow yourself to go to these conspiracy theories about, well, you know, the current president is going to somehow instill martial law and he's going to, uh, you know, have a third term. Have we heard that? I hear that every four years. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. There's too many libertarians. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the truth is, we, the, that stuff doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter because God has called us to live a certain way. He is asking for us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and refuse to allow ourselves to go down that rabbit hole of fear. Verse 13 says this, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar liked these guys. They were on his team. I mean, he had picked them, and he had placed them over the different provinces. And verse 15 says this, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. So he, like, tries to make it more appealing. He says, like, hey, come on, guys, like, just do this, everyone's doing it, you don't really have to believe in it, just, come on, like, just do it. Like, he's giving them a second chance. He says, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, uh, fiery furnaces were a common way of punishment during that time, right? So this isn't just a a one-off, but it's, they were, that's, that was the common form of punishment, and they knew this. Verse 16, and here's where it gets good. So if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They say, but even if not. You see, the furnace isn't where our faith is tested. The furnace is where your faith is revealed. They had all, listen, their faith was already tested. They had been taken from their homeland and their circumstances were horrible. It's like you're getting fired and you're still trying to do good for the company that fired you, right? It's like, it's like you're going through the worst possible circumstances that, you, that you're going through. And at that point, most people just say, okay, I'm just going to throw the towel in. But for these three Hebrew men, they said that even if God doesn't rescue them, even if they walk into this fiery furnace, which, by the way, the, 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 the story will continue to say that it was heated up how many more times? Seven more times. Okay, biblical number, a lot of symbolism behind it. It was so hot that people that were walking them up there were not able to survive. And so what we find is that your circumstances, they don't define your faith, but rather your faith is simply revealed when you go through the difficulties and the circumstances of your life. There were people, the, the, all of the people that were mentioned, the Chaldeans that came to the king and they told on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Right? They said, hey, they're not doing this. Most of the time, if someone does that to us, we want to kind of get revenge or get back at them or we want to clear our name. But instead of doing any of that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, it doesn't even matter because even our lives aren't ours. They are God's. And when we understand that your life belongs to God, then what you are called to do and how you are called to live in this time, in this place, is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where all you are required to do is to remain faithful to the one true God. Because we live in a time where there are so many, there are so many lowercase gods who are vying for our attention. 
There's the idolatry of, of knowledge, the idolatry of power, the idolatry of being without sin, the idolatry even sometimes of religion. We are constantly being told that we can be like God. And the story in Daniel 3 is a reminder that there is only one true God. And they say, but even if God does not save us, we still will not bow down. That is the audacity of faith. That in the, in the face of death, they could have just bowed down and everything would have been fine and they could have moved on with their life. But they would not compromise on God. When we look in Revelation 13 and 14, we are called to be people that follow the ways of God and keep the faith of Jesus. That's what determines people who worship the one true God. Do we believe in this God or do we go after other things that look good but aren't God? So then the Bible tells us in verse 24, they went into the fiery furnace, and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped up to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, yes, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The Bible then tells us that Nebuchadnezzar bows down and worships this god. I would be lying if I told you that your story would turn out just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. Some of you are going through a furnace right now, and it's going to feel like you died. Some of you will, in fact, get burned. Because what we find in the scriptures is that God's will isn't always what we want it to be. You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, see, we think like, oh, you see, the, the wrong way to read that story is, you see, God went in there and he rescued them from the fire so that they could then continue to live. That's the wrong way to look at that story. The right way to look at that story is God intervened so that others would also believe in him. They were just in service to the God who does the miraculous. And what's important about this story is that your will isn't all, like God's will isn't always what you want. And the purpose of our lives of faith is to ask God to allow our will to become what his will is. And do you know what God's will is? Is that all would come to him. God's will is that all would come to a saving knowledge of what Jesus has done. And what we get to do and be a part of that is to live as, as a, in, a, in a sense, be in service to the God and that we can point to God and say, yeah, this is the God who even rescues from the fiery furnace, not for our sake, but for God's sake. That sounds weird, for God's sake. And so this morning as we close, I hope this has made sense. Um, you know, when they, when they teach us in our, in our preaching classes, they always say, you can't read too much Bible in a row because people are just going to get lost, like anything. It's not just the Bible. It's if you read like, you know, a whole page worth of stuff, it's hard to follow along. But I felt like we had to read all of the story in, in order for us to get a depth of understanding of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going through. They were faced with insurmountable odds, but their faith, their, their relentless belief 
and the God that could save did in the fact, in the end, save them, but it was so that others would come to believe him as well. So, so I just had this thought. So, <laughs> land the plane. So, when you are going through something difficult, remember that that may very well be how God intervenes in your life so that the people around you may come to this knowing knowledge of Christ. There it is. Amen.